Hello, and welcome to Empowering Women Through Sports. I am your host, Allison Ferguson. This episode is about determination. Annabelle Heinemann is a mountain athlete in all types of skiing, alpine, telemark, backcountry, as well as mountaineering and mountain biking. Determination is what Annabelle possesses in her sports, yes, but also toward her career and family. And as you'll hear in this interview, it's been needed to survive and thrive. Annabelle has an intelligent, dry humor that is disarming that also sugarcoats some of the difficult stories she'll share in this interview. Annabelle, welcome to Empowering Women Through Sports. Well, thank you, Allie. How exciting. I didn't realize I uh, counted as an athlete, but I'm very uh, honored to be here. Oh, indeed you do. Um, Annabelle, give us some background about yourself. What's your story? Or when did you first realize that the mountains were calling? Well, I think it was toward, well, actually, maybe I should back up a little bit uh, to when actually I was in high school, and I always wished that I had been an athlete, but I wasn't at all. I couldn't run a mile. I couldn't pass the president's physical fitness test. The only thing I could do was ride my horse and play my violin. And I always wished I was like the cool kid on the on the athletic teams. I never was. As we go along in this interview, you'll learn that Annabelle is modest. For example, she is forgetting the part about her childhood where she learned to ski when she was about three years old. So while she claims to be a non-athlete, there is a glimmer of family mountain time in her youth. She says they would do a family ski trip to Vermont once a year, where they entered ski school and had consecutive ski days for a week or more. But she attributes their home not far from a local ski hill, the reason for her becoming a decent skier. The really cool thing is that we live like 20 minutes away from this completely podunk ski area called Bell Mountain. We called it Bell Bump. And it had literally the the steep uh, slope had a rope toe. And we could do like up the rope to a round trip and back down in like three minutes. I mean, just something, it was ridiculous. And we'd just drive over there like every evening there was night skiing. And so that was like our, our sport, if you will, during high school and stuff. We'd literally be there every evening, practically and weekends. And we just skied like crazy at this stupid little place. And then, you know, everybody from school was there. And I actually credit that with being the thing that, you know, got us to be, you know, decent skiers. That word decent, by the way, means freaking awesome to most anyone else. Fast forward to college at St. Lawrence University in upstate New York, and Annabelle starts to become more inspired. To me, her path is like an awakening of a reluctant athlete. I tried a little harder, and I started getting a little more involved in biking and running, and I got to the point where I could actually run three very slow miles, which you know, was quite a milestone, especially considering that my housemates at the time were cross-country ski racers that were like at the literally ended up being at the Olympic level. So they would, you know, kind of humor me and take me out occasionally and encourage me to keep going. <laughs> so I think the next big step was when I graduation was staring me down and you know, the most obvious option was to go back to New Jersey where I had spent the last bunch of years and take advantage of my education as a computer science and be a programmer and living in New Jersey and somehow that just didn't seem like a very good option. <laughs> I couldn't quite stomach it. I had gotten one job offer to be a guide for uh, cross-country bike trips, which I came really close to doing, but I felt like I was so unsure what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure that I'd be the best leader because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So 
I uh, ended up being talked into moving to Lake Placid with those same ski racer, bike racer housemates. Uh, moved to Lake Placid and uh, started working at a bike shop and then uh, got inspired and thought, well, I've always wanted to be a ski patroller. Maybe I should try it out and managed to finagle my way into being a ski patroller at uh, Whiteface in Lake Placid and did that for a few years. And then I moved to Utah and got talked into moving out there and thought, well, okay, now I'll get a real job. And that didn't work out so well either. I <laughs> ended up riding my bike up a little Cottonwood Canyon and talking my way into a ski patrol job at Snowbird. That's awesome. You rode your bike up the canyon to interview for the job? Well, no, I actually, I moved out to Salt Lake and decided I was going to get a job in IT because there's no way I was capable of doing anything on the mountain out here because it was so big and intimidating. But I was biking and I was biking up the canyon one day and, you know, I was thinking about it. I mean, I used to think about it a bunch, but anyway, I'm headed up the canyon, which is a really, little Cottonwood Canyon is not a whole lot of fun to bike up, right? And then I literally got like two thirds of the way up and, you know, mellows out a little bit and the seven sisters area gets a little flatter. I started feeling, Hey, you know, I actually feel pretty good, pretty strong. I think I can make it up here. And literally that turned into, I got to entry two and I'm like, I'm pulling in and I'm going to go find this guy. And if I hadn't gotten on my bike and ridden up that Canyon, there's no way that I would have walked in the door up there and said, you know, will you give me a job on ski patrol? But when you do that stuff, it just gives you this, I don't know if it's just the endorphins or whatever, but it gives you a confidence to just say, you know what, it's okay. I'm going to, if I want to do it, I'm going to try. And I really think that uh, the confidence that you get from sports is a huge part of that. So it's like, if you push yourself in sports, maybe not competitively, you know, well, for some people it is competitive is what makes it happen, but in other cases, it's just to accomplish something, then you're like, well, hell, then maybe I'll try to accomplish something else. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> and I think that to me is the piece of the puzzle that puts it all together. I so appreciate this story. It epitomizes that challenging ourselves in sports and achieving a goal, this builds confidence. That fateful endorphin-filled bike ride up Little Cottonwood Canyon set Annabelle in motion for her career in the outdoor industry. After four years ski patrolling at Snowbird, her patrol friends persuaded her, without much arm twisting, to join them in working on Mount Rainier for the guide service, which led her to another step on her career path. And that led me uh, kind of step by step to a job working at Mount Rainier for the guide service, which in turn ended up leading me to a job with the North Face. I mean, I, and I credit this to my next couple of jobs. It was so funny. Um, the guy from the North Face called Pete Whitaker, who was the owner of Rainier Mountaineering, and he wanted to do a glove testing project with the guides. And Pete's like, you know, I don't feel like dealing with this. If you want to deal with it, great. And if not, I'm just going to say no. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Sounds great. So I ended up doing this project. And of course, you know, my little data side to me had, you know, all the spreadsheets and analysis and literally had like 70 guides each with a pair of gloves to test and they would have to put them in their box after each summit climb and put notes about how they worked, you know, do it for 30 days. And so I took all the, you know, all their little dirty little sweaty notebooks out of their boxes and recorded their notes and graphed it and made this presentation at the end of it and said, here you go. And the guys at Gore were like, oh, okay. You know, they, you know, weren't really expecting to get a whole lot. So then one of the guys from Gore got a job with North Face. So, and those two had been really good friends. And so they literally called me because of this glove test project that I'd done. 
And ultimately that ended up bringing me to where I am today. And where you are today is at Mountain Hardware, one of the top outdoor apparel manufacturers in the outdoor industry. And what is your title at Mountain Hardware? Uh, I'm the director of international distributor sales, and I also manage warranty. I'm hearing perseverance, following a passion and good things happen. Exactly. Work hard and do what you want to do, and you never know what's going to happen. When you came into Mountain Hardware, you weren't doing this position. What was your first role at Mountain Hardware? Uh, I was the manager of information systems. So I was back on the IT side of things. You know, my career has kind of spanned between IT technology and operations and sales. Uh, when I was at North Face, I went from sales to operations to IT. And when at Mountain Hardware, I started in IT, went back to operations and then back to sales. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, whatever skills they needed, you know, I could fill a number of gaps that they needed and it just worked out well. And it seems like you're happier too, being able to test product and being out of just the computer side. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I love the fact that when I went to IT at the North Face, I was coming from sales and operations and I was able to help with like implementing systems that worked well, that's, you know, served the needs of sales and operations. So it was a really neat way to bring the skills to the IT side and sort of have systems that were, you know, well-suited for the business needs. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a great experience, but it is really nice to get back to the sales end of things. And I love working with customers and a lot of them are very outdoorsy and it's just great. We get to share a lot of fun times that relate back to the outdoors, but also build the business relationship and yeah, being back in product and sales is, is fun. How much has your product knowledge you know, patrolling, mountaineering, all that helped you into where you are today? Well, I think it's helped a lot, but I think that something you don't really think about. It's something maybe I took for granted. I think I maybe almost still take for granted because I kind of assume people are like me and like you and we just do our thing and everybody does a lot of stuff and uses all the gear and it's just, that's kind of how the world works, but it doesn't entirely like that, right? And so you don't even realize that you know, your experience and your knowledge that you're bringing is actually beneficial because it just feels like natural. Like, yeah, of course I'm wearing this stuff. And of course I can come back and tell you what I love, what I don't like, but that's not the case in the broader organization. And so again, it's like another skill set that really you're adding without even realizing it, I think. It seems to me that you're viewed as an equal to all the guys that are out there skiing and climbing and all that. I think it gets easier over time because there's, you know, the older you get, the fewer people are still out there getting after it. And so if you're still at least trying to get after it, you're in pretty good standing with the rest of the crew. I mean, most of the people that are still, you know, really doing a lot are younger. Uh, but I think they think it's kind of cool that, yeah, I can still hang for the most part with this younger crew and still get street cred for being able to keep up or lead the way. So you're getting into mountaineering, you're, you're backcountry skiing, you're adept at your sports now. And sometimes we push boundaries when we know we're skilled at something. Can you share a story where you have gotten in too deep, frightened yourself, and how did you get out of it? Well, yeah, I think it's more skiing, uh, just backcountry skiing. You know, there's a few times where I end up on international trips with especially some of the North Face athletes where I just got in a little deeper than I probably realized I was. And Either was scared I'd never make it out or in one case end up hurting my knee and having to hike all the way back up to the top of the mountain because there was nobody there to help. 
You had to hike back up with a bad knee. Yeah, exactly. Blowing out knee, I had to hike back up to the top of the garage uh, and take the take the tram down. So that was one time that I clearly was in a little deep and realized a little too late. And there's a few other times I think I just got lucky, you know, in the backcountry or backcountry touring and very cautious, you know, spent a lot of time doing snow safety from, you know, my days of ski patrolling at Snowbird and still, you know, you see slides break out around you that could just as easily have broken out under your feet. Definitely lucky on a few occasions there. Annabelle's a good friend of mine. We met 25 years ago when she was Annabelle Spencer. We were both territory sales reps for the North Face. I was a bridesmaid in her wedding, which was on top of Mount Sopris near Aspen, Colorado. The day before the wedding, when many brides and bridesmaids might be getting their nails done or having massage appointments, their gift to all of us in the wedding party was tandem paragliding on Aspen Mountain. And on their wedding night, the wedding party had secretly set up a big North Face tent tucked away in the woods. We decorated it with pillows, zipped together sleeping bags, candles, chocolates, and they loved it. It was their idea of the Four Seasons. The significance of this story is to illustrate the mindset and passion Annabelle has for the outdoors. She'll get married, but on her terms, on top of a mountain, and paragliding, not pampering. Luckily, her husband Jan can keep up, and he bikes and skis too. They have three daughters, Izzy, Vela, and Krista. Izzy and Vela are on a super high-level mountain bike team called Bear Development Team. I asked Annabelle how this came about. It kind of was born out of the fact that I think of it kind of a selfishness on my part, to be perfectly honest, because I was the last one that expected to have kids and the last one who could imagine what my life would look like when I had kids and couldn't do all the outdoor stuff I wanted to do. So I was a little bit, honestly, desperate and depressed and um, kind of freaked out. So um, (laughs) my goal, which luckily Jan went along with, thought it was a fine idea, was to just drag him around and try to do everything that we like to do and just doing it with them attached to us one way or another and honestly get them ingrained in that kind of lifestyle before they had any idea what an opinion was. Um, so we were just hoping by the time they figured out there's such a thing as an opinion that they would think ours was a great idea and they would you know, have the same opinion. Still waiting for it to backfire, but so far so good. We got them skiing by the time, you know, as soon as they could walk, basically they're on skis, you know, pretty much as soon as they could walk, they're on bikes too. And they just, uh, you know, they grew to love it. And um, racing is one of those things that just, you see your hair, you know, competitive thing kicks in a little bit. You know, we were skiing at Squawk because I was patrolling there and you see all the, they call it the Mighty Mites, where you get to see all these little kids out just blasting around the mountain with their coaches. And it doesn't look that competitive. It looks more like fun than, you know, competition. So kind of work their way into that skiing they were so into biking so between skiing and biking they're you know they just loved it and they were kind of getting better and better and so then in middle school um they really wanted to start riding more they weren't so they wanted to ride with high schools but they weren't allowed to so we started a middle school club and got them a little race experience there and they end up then being invited to ride with the high school team when they were in eighth grade and i think it kind of took off from there I give a lot of credit to the NorCal, uh, the NICA series of mountain biking, which is high school mountain biking, and NorCal is our chapter of it. And it's an amazing organization where they, you know, mountain bike racing for high school kids. In our region, they've got 500 kids there racing in a day, and they're all, yeah, they're pushing themselves hard, but they're also just having a really great time. They're in the outdoors. The parents are actually there, but they're kind of, you know, they get to ride too. So everybody's having a good time. It's a really balance of competitiveness and driving themselves as hard as they can, 
as well as, you know, having fun in this cool environment. I think it went from there and they did really well at that. Um, Vela won every single race she was in and Izzy won almost every one, <laughs> including one a couple of years ago where they were racing at States and they both won States uh, on the same day right after each other. So, you know, they just got more fired up and then one of their friends who's uh, they've been racing with got onto bear and that kind of inspired them. And, you know, they took it from there and it's, you know, it's an amazing organization, um, but the level of skill is just incredible. I mean, they got all the national champions and it's quite a incredibly competitive league and they are, you know, they're thrilled to be part of it, realizing that they're never going to be at the level of, you know, some of these other national champions, but they're, they're solidly in there and making the most of it and learning and pushing themselves and admiring those that are these insanely fast, talented kids that are also just great, great kids to ride with and be on the team with. So it's, yeah, super great, great opportunity, great experience. Indeed. You love what you're good at. It sounds like they just took to it and crushing. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, I mean, I think the only place I can take credit for it is just you know, we would take them out, we would go cool places with them. So whether it was take them on a ski trip to Snowbird and, you know, I'd show them around the mountain, show them all the best spots or going on a cool bike vacation and saying, oh yeah, this is trail I rode 20 years ago and I'm taking you out here. And it's the most gorgeous riding along the Continental Divide or we did this crazy trip in Switzerland riding. And so then it's, they realize that, hey, this is, it's fun, it's great to be competitive, but it's also just a amazingly fun lifelong sport where you can get to beautiful places and do interesting things. So life happens when you're busy making plans, sounds like, right? So you have kids now and you're still doing your sports and no one's going to stop you because you're just going and you got them attached to the hip and they, you can cry, sure, but you're going to come and you're going to do this. You have an adventure-filled lives and then you have your third child. You had shared with me that your youngest, Krista, was born with a serious heart condition and that the doctors had some options for treatment. I know it's a long story. Can you touch on this story a bit and perhaps share the progression? Um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It, it's uh, one of those things that seems so far away from the reality today, it almost seems impossible. But then when you think back to it, it also seems like, you know, it was just yesterday. <laughs> so it is nice having some distance time-wise to be able to kind of reflect on it. Uh, but it does seem pretty crazy, but it is true. Um, yeah, Krista was born with a, a super severe heart condition and the doctors gave her less than 24 hours to survive. Oh my gosh. And what's this called? It's got severe hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which means that the uh, walls and the septum of the heart are thickened. So she's, if you imagine like a grapefruit with a really thick skin, that's what her heart is like. And it shouldn't be that way because that kind of takes up most of the space. So she has very little volume. And so a very inefficient pumping of the blood, you know, out of her heart um, into her body. So you just give birth and yeah. you're in the hospital and they're, they're saying this to you? Uh, yeah. They had found kind of a weird, you know, a little bit prenatal, a little weirdness, but they thought they said, ah, it'll probably just clear up. So that was, you know, that's the first shock. <laughs> so then they said, well, if she could get a heart transplant, you know, she'd have a chance, but she won't make it long enough to get a heart transplant. So limited options. So we basically just made it through that day. And the next day they came back and she was still around. And the next day they came back and she was still around. And a week later, she was still around. And they thought, well, I don't know why, but 
so far so good. And then the next set of doctors came around and said, um, we did the hearing test and it didn't go so well. And we think your daughter's deaf as well. Oh, great. So I remember thinking, wow, um, you know, the heart's one thing, but I thought to me, the hearing thing was even bigger. It was like, you know, I was just imagining, what does that mean? What do you do? So, uh, we actually honestly just, just forgot about the hearing thing. I mean, we got her hearing aids, which they kind of do by default just to see if that helps. But I mean, our thought was, hey, if her heart's not going to work, who cares if her ears work, right? So yeah, it was a long, long day-by-day process, literally. And they just, um, you know, week by week, month by month, nobody could understand how she, how she made it through. And then they came back and said, well, if she gets a heart transplant, then she can get cochlear implants, which is a whole nother game where kids that are completely deaf really are able to, you know, they can learn how to hear and speak and live a different life than kids that, that go the sign language route. So bottom line is they said that she can't have until she gets a heart transplant, and, uh, but they wouldn't give her a heart transplant because it was too risky. They didn't think she'd survive it. So it was all this kind of crazy spiral. And then they literally, I literally got a phone message one day from the cochlear implant surgeon that said, well, we reevaluated Krista's case and now we realize that she's a year old, she's still alive. We figured she must be tough enough that she can handle it. So, so, so they signed her up for cochlear implant surgery and the two year, a little over two years, um, she had her surgery and they're right, it just about killed her, but she's a tough one. She made it through and she's now 14. She's in mainstream school with cochlear implants. She said her heart condition is still, it hasn't changed, but um, her history has been very stable and it's obvious that she's been managing it to this point well. She hasn't had any heart transplant. She had a defibrillator in, in put in so that if she does, you know, she's a high risk of cardiac, uh, um, whatever, heart stop. And then we thought, well, you know, what do we do with a kid that can't walk up the set of stairs because her, you know, her heart condition is so bad, she can't walk up the hill, she can't do anything. And here we are with kids that were out doing this stuff all day. So we were kind of yeah, you're a real quandary. It's like, how do you live? What do you do? So, but you're in so deep every day, you don't even realize what you're doing. You just kind of keep going. Survival. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we had her on the trailer bike. We had every device what's you could have possibly imagined to carry her, to pull her, to everything. I saw you once at Tahoe when she was really young and, and you said, yeah, the doctor said she probably shouldn't go to altitude. Yeah, and she survived. You know, we came back and we told the doc and he wasn't too impressed, but he was like, okay, well, we, she's an unknown. She's continues to be an unknown. So if she did all right, let's keep going. But the really funny one, I think, was when, um, <laughs> yeah, she wasn't supposed to be doing any cardio output, anything athletic. And we figured, uh, we thought, well, skiing, you know, how hard is skiing? Like if you get to be a decent skier, you could ski blue runs all your life and it really isn't hard exercise, right? So we thought, well, if we can get her to be a decent skier without killing her, then she might be able to ski for the rest of her life. So we're just, you know, kind of lucky we didn't kill her in the process, but she's turned into an amazing skier. And one day we were, <laughs> oh man. Okay. So a couple of years after she got her implants, we were at Squaw on the Funi, which is, you know, the small gondola with like 10 people. 
Because she's what, four years old, five years old? Yeah, probably. And she loves, she knows the mountain inside out. She's this little, her memory is just unbelievable. And she's very detailed. She completely, she learned all the trails and all the runs. And she wanted to map out our route all day, you know, from the food. Okay, we're going to go here. We're going to ski this. And we're going to go here and ski this. So she's talking nonstop the whole way up the Fooney, looking out the window, you know, just telling us how it's going to be. And we get off at the top and we hear this voice saying, is that Krista Heinemann? And I'm like, I could never forget that voice. It was her cochlear implant surgeon. Last time I had seen her basically was her carrying Krista in her arms. Krista was deaf as a doorknob going into cochlear implant surgery and this woman was carrying her down the hall singing to her oh i was kidding and now here she is on the funi watching krista listening to krista talk nonstop the whole way up about something that she passionately loves to do so that was amazing what a joy yeah until we got the call from the cardiologist like the next day when we went in for her next appointment he walks in he goes so we hear krista skiing at squaw these days <laughs> Word travels fast in that world. (laughs) But it was amazing because, you know, these surgeons don't get to see the result that often of what they enable in the person's life. And uh, we actually also did a trip to, um, we did the, took the girls to Europe for the first time. And one of the things we wanted to do was go to the place where Krista's cochlear implants are made in Innsbruck. So we set up the visit and we went there and we literally met the guy who handmade the inside of her cochlear implants and again it was they are just blown away that they see the life that they enabled you know through their work so really pretty awesome oh that's a great Uh, story yeah and one other i think has kind of brought us to today is um through a wonderful uh, connection to a co-worker in switzerland we got her uh, kind of a souped up um, full suspension mountain bike and she is now the most unbelievable biker that you know she's pretty much a better biker than I am. And not only that, she's also kind of our safety because if somebody doesn't show up, she's got her battery. So we just send her back to figure out what's going on. And, and she, or, or if we're lost somewhere, we're like, Krista, go ahead and see what's ahead on the trail. So we can now do some bike packing and you know overnight rides. And as long as we can recharge somewhere, then she's there doing, doing everything we do. So all e-bike for her. Exactly. Yep. Super cool. Full suspension e-bike. It's amazing how advances in recreational equipment have enabled Annabelle and Jan to continue to pursue their sports in the outdoors and keep mountain biking as a family. Electric bikes, even the playing field. That's really opened up our entire world. That's you know, our favorite thing to do. And um, she's right there with us. So, you know, we load her up with stuff we don't want to carry. And it's, a, you know, it's kind of a bonus. <laughs> well, I think early on there was a, there's a quote you had. You said, we're going to live our life and... If she dies, she's going to have had the best life ever. If she drops dead, she'll, she'll drop dead happy. <laughs> um, but it's, it's true. I mean, she's her determination and perseverance and just, I mean, this kid will take on anything. And it's, she's taught us a lot. She's driven us crazy, but she's taught us a lot. And uh, she's, you know, probably the most remarkable kid I know. And uh, <laughs> Phenomenal. Fantastic. It would be completely understandable if you sheltered or perhaps became overly protective of Krista, but enabling is not a word I would ever use with you. What mindset do you take? Honestly, I mean, I think this might be simplifying it. I'm not even sure if it's true, but 
just like any, just like anything else, you live every day and every day leads to the next day. And you don't necessarily make decisions. You don't make big decisions. Life kind of happens. And I think that what you're, maybe what's deep inside you maybe drives what you do that day, but it doesn't mean I'm going to wake up tomorrow and say, this is how I'm going to live my life. It's just, especially with three little kids and all this going on, you just, you don't even realize what you're doing. So it was really just, I think, a gut instinct. And part of it, again, was like selfish. Like we, we got it. We, we got to do stuff to stay sane. And uh, I think, you know, literally it's just, um, you know, daily routine with maybe that being a kind of a fundamental value of ours that just kept us honestly without really realizing it, just kind of marching in this direction of let's keep doing things that make us feel, make us all feel like we're living life the way we want to live it. And when the kids are really little, they don't get a say in it, right? We don't know what they're thinking. So you get them started doing what you think is right. And then again, things just change so slowly. You don't even realize it until it's totally changed. And now I was thinking about it, like instead of making time for myself to get away and stay sane, I'm trying to make time now to keep up with the kids because they're all out doing so much. And I'm the one chasing them, (laughs) chasing to do stuff with them instead of vice versa. (laughs) Well, you and Jan have been great role models following your passion and seeing them that humans, adults have passions and we don't sit idle. Like you said, waiting for life to happen. You just do it. Right. Yeah. I think it kind of ties back to knowing what makes you happy and fulfilled and just keep doing it and see how it, how it evolves. And it evolved really in a really cool way for us over, over a long time. (laughs) I heard a statistic that girls their confidence level peaks at the age of nine. Really? And then it doesn't necessarily plummet, but it just peaks at nine. And then what's happening with boys at nine and 10 and 11 and 12? They're just getting deeper voices and stronger muscles and more confidence. And that gap isn't ever recovered. Wow. Another statistic I heard and these stats I'm referring to are from girls, leading girls out of San Francisco, that 94% of female C-suite executives played sports. So your CEOs and COOs that are female, 94% played sports. That's where your girls in mountain biking, it's going to help them throughout their entire life. They're, they're already a step ahead of the statistics. Wow. Well, you've instilled values such as support and selflessness with your daughters. I mean, Isabella and Vela have been right there, very much involved from the very beginning. How do you instill these values into them? You know, again, I think it's something that you don't, to be honest. I think that you're, you you don't um, intentionally. I think it's, it happens by how you act, right? So And I think it's, you know, you got to give these kids credit. They're so, all these, you know, little kids are just perceptive and they're learning too. I mean, I think that they're better role models a lot of times than we are. Um, Plus they're involved in it every day too. So if they're living the same life, you know, you still slowly start to learn, oh, well, maybe I can help here. It's like this trajectory that's changing so slowly. You barely realize that you're developing these more skills and more, you know, you're contributing more and these girls are getting to the point where they're just able to help more. And it's, 
just becomes inherent in them, I think. Maybe we instilled that in them in the way we acted. I mean, again, we weren't always the best role models, but maybe we were a lot of the time. And <laughs> enough of the time for them to learn from it and grow. And then I think, again, it turned around where they've grown and learned and we're trying to learn from them now. I mean, they, yeah, they're great coaches for us now. I thought it would be fun for listeners to hear from each of her kids. Before we hear from them, I asked Annabelle to share a personality trait for each of her daughters. The first we hear from is Vela, the middle daughter. Vela, I think, is um, the kind of compassionate, um, kind of fiercely competitive, but very compassionate. Just the sweetest one that give you the best hugs and know when you're down. Hello, Vela. Welcome to Empowering Women Through Sports. Thanks for having me. So what grade are you in? I'm a junior in high school. Favorite class, favorite subject? Um, well, I'm taking AP Statistics this year, which is really cool. Mom had always talked to me, you know, a couple years ago, saying that she had taken a statistics class, and she would always wished she had gone farther with it because it was really interesting. And we did an introduction to it last year in... Um, advanced algebra and it was pretty interesting. So yeah, that's probably one of my favorite classes at the moment. Oh, fantastic. And AP no less. Yeah. <laughs> so your older sister charges hard and is very accomplished. What do you think about when, you know, as you're growing up and you have this older sister that's doing all this stuff and you're thinking, oh, I want to do that too, or? More of like, I want to be able to do what she does because she's going places. I want to be able to like come with her and like do these cool things that she can do. She's able to do all those fun and cool things because of how hard she works. And I think that that's one thing that I wish I had a bit more of personally is more of a drive and like willingness to do like really hard things, which she definitely has. So then, yeah, just wanting to follow in her footsteps and like be able to experience what she can experience is something that definitely drives me. I think there might be something in there because you don't just go for a joy ride when you go mountain biking. What helps you get through that grueling ride? Well, I think a lot of it is like reminding yourself where this will take me. I'm doing this workout because I know that it will help me, even though like I'm probably really, really tired. This is really hard, like a really hard workout, right? But I know that like come race season, I'll be really glad I did this workout. So the thought of like where it can take me and how the hard work that I'm doing now will benefit me later. So you're talking maybe about an ultimate goal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How far do you want to take this racing? Um, racing World Cups for mountain biking seems kind of like a bit of a stretch for me right now. But also through my team, Bear Development Team, we've gotten the chance to talk with all sorts of pros from all different aspects of the sport and learned their stories. A lot of them have had, you know, I didn't start riding bikes until like high school or like I didn't ride my bike at all through college because I didn't think that I was ever going to race World Cups. And then now it's my job and I love it and this is what I do. So I kind of don't really know where it's going to go right now, but I really love that it's like, if I really want to go to World Cups, I can do that if I work hard enough. But if I'm not sure where I'm going to go, like I can just keep working hard and it'll take me where I want it to take me. So true story. You're learning that young. <laughs> do you ever feel a lack of confidence when you're in a race or when in your sport? Um, 
yes, it depends on the situation. We kind of like race on two levels. One is like our high school league, which I definitely feel a bit more confident because you know, like some of the people you're racing against, it's more tight community, right? There's more of like aspect of fun and community in it, right? So I feel like that adds a lot to your confidence. Uh, Like, for example, I did a race down in LA, a US Cup race in March, actually. And so I was racing girls that I had never met. They were all like really good. And, you know, I was racing what, like my category, I think might've been like, I think it was 15 to 16. They were all like really fast and intimidating. So that definitely, you know, take a shot on your confidence, you know, like it's (laughs) definitely. How'd you get through it? Kind of just telling myself you're already here. Just give it your all. And I mean, I had the team director, Julia Vilich of Bear Development Team. She was there. And one moment that I think really ties in to this was during the race, it was like the final lap. It was like the top of this hill. We were about to start going down. And then there were like a couple girls in front of me and I was sitting in fifth or something. And she like kind of was like running alongside the course. She's like, go, go, go. Like, you know, you want that podium. Like you can go get it. And shouting all this like encouragement. So things like that really, you know, help you get through it. (laughs) That's fantastic. Who is your mentor or someone you admire? Well, I definitely have a lot of people that I look up to um, in the sport. All of my teammates, you know, there's so many people, their development that you're like, oh my God, I'm on a team with them. Like, that's crazy. You know, they're a pro basically, right? But so definitely a lot of my teammates and Izzy for sure. Because I feel like <laughs> she represents how far I can go if I work hard. And then um, definitely a lot of people like tied to biking, of course. Kate Courtney and our team director and all the racing World Cups and all of that. Nice. <laughs> Izzy is the eldest of the three kids. She's a senior in high school and 19 months older than Vela but only one school year apart. Izzy is like the ultra level-headed, kind of call her the level-headed coach, a level-headed guide, but also just the kind of just get it done person. She's just determined but level-headed and kind of just approaches things very kind of calmly and methodically and mixes it up with a little bit of fun, but just marches ahead and gets it done. Hi, Izzy. Thank you for joining me on Empowering Women Through Sports. Yeah, I'm excited. I am too. You guys have a great story. So what grade are you in? I'm a senior. In high school. And where are you headed next year? Do you know? Nope. (laughs) Uh, I'm working on college applications now, but... Well, you started out as a ski racer and you've transitioned more to serious mountain biking. When did you decide that mountain biking was more for you? Well, junior year, I decided to focus more on mountain biking because living in the Bay Area and Marin, mountain biking really is super easy to do and there's great access to trails all the time and a really good like mountain bike community here. So it was a little bit easier to focus on that than skiing when I could only be in Tahoe two days a week and the competitive people I was racing against, most of them lived in Tahoe and trained like six days a week, days a week or something like that. So logistically it just worked out a lot better. And as I learned more, I've gotten more and more hooked 
because there's just so much stuff that you can do mountain biking. So I still love skiing and they're both awesome. Um, but for now it just works out better to focus on mountain biking. And it's really cool to like see the elite side of that sport as well. Well, mountain biking hurts. Climbing hills, your legs are burning, your lungs are popping. What motivates you? Mostly just like the discoveries and like breakthroughs that I can make with my own performance. Because I find like when I'm in the middle of a really hard interval, I'll like figure something out that helps me go a little bit faster. And that's just so satisfying to me. And so like always trying to get a little bit better or discover something new about myself is really fun and kind of addicting too. Plus I got to be outside and have a lot of fun. So when do you feel most confident? When I'm riding by myself. (laughs) Um, When I'm riding by myself, I get to do whatever I want, go whatever speed I'm going. And it's kind of just fun to like imagine whatever I feel like. And then when I win a race, that's a pretty awesome feeling. I don't know. I feel like confidence is can be harmful um sometimes and like when you're in a race you're like oh if you're thinking like oh I can totally win and then you suddenly aren't in that position it can be really painful so I've like had that happen before at California State Championships sophomore year I was like going into the race I'd won like three out of four races I was like oh this is great like I can totally I can win it'll be hard of course I didn't really realize oh it's gonna be really hard um so I was like going and then I was like struggling to stay with the lead pack and I was like okay never mind I'm not gonna win anymore but then I was like oh I have this race plan so let's just I'm just gonna tack on this hill like who cares I'm not gonna win like whatever we're just gonna try go for it and then I just attacked on the hill and ended up passing everyone, and no one caught me, and so I won. So it was really crazy that, like, I didn't have the confidence in that moment, but that actually kind of helped me because I didn't have, like, the pressure. So I don't know. (laughs) Wow, all that happened in one race. So you felt a little overly confident in the start and then worked through that into realization of what could happen. Yeah. Once I kind of release those like expectations um that confidence can like bring if you're like oh I can totally win that that's a hard place to be in in a race so then like getting past that by sort of losing my confidence I guess ended up helping me win the race which gives me more confidence looking back on it so I don't know (laughs) it's a process what is your ultimate goal in mountain biking how far do you want to take it it's just kind of like keep on going and see what happens is sort of my mindset right now, I guess. And it's kind of been weird without a lot of races. Uh, but I felt like I've built a lot of fitness the past six months or however long we've been in quarantine. So I'm kind of excited to see how that plays out. Um, and this year I will be racing 1718, which is like the last year as a junior. So it's kind of like a big year and I'm, feel like in college I'll definitely keep riding and that'll be really fun to just like ride with a college team and meet people and have lots of fun and then decide later. (laughs) What's your favorite mountain bike ride? Well maybe what's your go-to in your town? Like what's the closest one that you like to do? I just ride on Mount Tam a lot because it's convenient Uh, But I also, like, really love riding in Tahoe. And when we were in Colorado, that was super fun with all the leaves turning um, yellow. And 
a bunch of new like single track design for mountain bikes. That was really fun. Also, I love long epic rides. So we did a few crazy rides in Colorado. We did the Monarch Crest Trail, which was like single track for, I don't even know how long it took us, like six hours or something like that. Just like with these spectacular, like crazy mountains and then aspen trees near the bottom. And that was really cool. So just kind of like wherever there's some, somewhere to explore. I, I like exploring. Krista is up next. She's the youngest of the three girls. We've heard a lot about her journey through this interview. So Krista, I think similarly we've been talking about is a combination of determination and stubbornness uh, and just fierce, fiercely determined and trying to be fiercely independent. But I think just fierce determination is, is her. Hey, Krista, how are you? Good. Are you shy? Kind of. What grade are you in? I'm a freshman in high school. Awesome. What's your favorite subject? Science. What about science do you love? I don't really know. It's just interesting. So you're the youngest of three kids with big shoes to fill, meaning they both are amazing athletes. When you're biking with them, why do you want to try so hard to keep up with them? When I was not as good as biking, they would, they had to wait for me for like 15 minutes a lot. I was really slow back then. I kind of just got better over time. And now I'm kind of faster than my mom, which is nice because then they have to wait for her and not me. Awesome. That a girl. How do your sisters support you? They do a lot for me. They will push my bike or push me up technical sections because with my obviously with my heart condition that's hard for me and they will carry me when I was littler they can't really carry me anymore but when I was smaller they would carry me if we would like to go on a hike pushing me pushing my bike pushing me on skis whatever's needed to not have the, whatever is like usually if you do it yourself and it's like hard work they'll like do it and push me that's wonderful. What is your most memorable family adventure? I had a lot of good ones. I would say when we went to Lenzerheide, Switzerland, teeny tiny mountain town. It's kind of near Zurich. My sisters have probably told you about this one, but... No. Really? Okay. We went on a Europe trip to go biking and the majority of it was in Lanzerheide, and we were riding, like, all day. So this is how most days would go. We would so we'd go to bed super late, so we'd wake up at, like, 9, and then we'd have breakfast at, like, 10, and then we'd finally go out for a ride at, like, 11, and then we would have lunch at, like, 4, and then we'd be back at, by a ride at, like, 8, and then we would have dinner at, like, 9, so we'd then we'd go to bed at, like, late. That, that's kind of how most days went. We were riding, like, six hour days it was long it was hard but we saw beautiful views it was really fun Lenser Hyde on that trip was also where I got a better bike and to help me like get better at biking and to have a lighter bike and not like a hotel that's really rough and a lot more responsive 
of a bike, so it's easier to do the technical sections. So I also improved my riding a lot on that trip. So improved riding, beautiful views, longer and hard riding, fun trip. Better equipment made you enjoy the sport more and do better. Yeah, for sure. I asked Krista what is something she can't live without, and she said her cochlear implants, that electronic device that is placed in her inner ear, has been the catalyst for her to be a normal kid, a normal teenager, in a normal high school, and in the appropriate grade for her age. Well, I can't live without these thingies, cochlear implants. I was born deaf, so I'm... So to be honest, I'm kind of glad I was born deaf because it's nice to be able to zone out parents sometime and have some quiet time. But I'm also very thankful that I can, I really like to be able to choose when I want to hear. So it's nice. So if you ever want to chill out and take a nap, you can just choose to take them off and tune everyone out? Precisely. That's brilliant. Good for you. Krista, thank you so much for your time. I've loved talking to you. You're, you girls are great. Keep up the great work. Okay. Hey, uh, girls, I'm done. Do you want to come say a final goodbye? Uh, thank you for being interested, Allie. We've uh, got a long, uh, great history between us, and uh, it's exciting to share this. is a little different than, you know, how we spent time in the past. It's uh, really neat and inspiring. So. Very inspiring. You've inspired me from the day I met you. Well, vice versa. Same, same, right back at you. Sometimes with four-letter words along with that inspiration. <laughs> well, you know, what's a friendship for if it doesn't have a little bit of that mixed in? Annabelle has led by example, showing her kids that success is a process. Their family sports have pulled them through many challenging times and helped them all build confidence. And that is empowering. Music for this podcast is created and produced by Gary Ferguson. Creative consulting by Quinn Ferguson and Tony Ferguson. Become a part of the Empowering Women Through Sports community. Learn when a new episode comes out by subscribing or following us on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Follow us on Instagram at EWTSPod, and it's super helpful when you share with your friends. Thank you, and keep charging.